0: Liberty listeners, here we are again for another episode of Liberty Sessions, and today we have. Um, well, first we're doing our first remote podcast, which is pretty exciting. And uh, Elizabeth Beth Wyndham, as we call her around here, has set us up with all kinds of fancy equipment. Um, And more importantly, we have our guest on the other line, Jessica Honiger of Noonday Collections. Jessica, welcome to Liberty Sessions.
1: Thanks. I'm so happy to be here and I'm happy to be your first
0: remote guest. I know. You broke us in. So we're going to make this a good one. So it's a high, high bar.
1: (laughs) Where do you Um, live to not have remote guests?
0: Um, we're in Los Angeles. Well, there you so go. Lucky, that explains lucky, everything. Lucky. But can I tell you, we're heading your way. We're going to bring live Liberty Sessions out to Texas. So we're going to make you come in to do a live session with us.
1: <laughs> Count me <Okay. laughs> in. I love doing live podcasts.
0: All right. All right. Um, so Jessica, why don't we just get started um, and have you give our listeners a brief description of your company, which is again, Noonday Collections.
1: Yeah, so Noonday Collection, we are a socially responsible fashion brand, and we are creating meaningful opportunity for artisan communities around the world that are living in vulnerable situations, and we do that through a social selling model. So we're also creating opportunity for women right here in America to launch their own social businesses and create a marketplace for
0: those artisans. Um, That sounds like you're doing a lot. Can you break it down for us? So perhaps, what's the first part? The first part that you said, share with us, what does it mean for those uh, communities um, that you're helping out? Tell us, practically speaking, what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so we are part of the Fair Trade Federation. And so we use Fair Trade principles. So we come alongside emerging businesses and artisans that are in areas of the world that are typically left out of trade and out of the main commercial marketplace. We come alongside those artisans. We help them scale their businesses. We help them with production, um, problem solving. We help them with cash flow. So we'll pay for product ahead of time. And then we also ensure long-term partnerships so that we're not just coming in with some big order and then leaving, but we're really wanting to create long-term sustainability for these businesses and help them gain, gain access access to the marketplace. And so that's what we're doing on the artisan side. And then on the ambassador side here in America, we are really providing an opportunity for women who also need an additional income and want to be a part of something bigger and want to be connected to um, this global movement. And so ambassadors here will ask friends and move way beyond friends pretty quickly and they will go into homes and set up a world boutique. And they'll bring these beautiful fines that, um, you know, many women won't be able to travel to Afghanistan or Kenya or Ecuador. And so they bring those fines to your neighborhood um, where you get to come and use your purchasing power for good and you get to create an impact in the countries where we partner.
0: That's amazing. Um, First of all, thank you for doing that. Thank you for the work you're doing in those countries. And thank you for bringing that opportunity to so many women here in the States. You mentioned the word scale. And I'd love to hear you just describe, practically speaking, because we hear um, on this podcast and in general, we hear uh, people talk about what it means to scale and the importance of scale. Mm. What does it mean for you when you say, and we help them to scale?
1: Yeah. So I began Noonday about six years ago, and it was just me, myself, and I. I was went and pawned off old gold jewelry at a pawn shop (laughs) in order to launch my first website yeah, and started my first office out of our guest bathroom and my warehouse was in our guest bedroom. And so I just wanted you to understand the context because now we And thank you
0: to your family and husband also (laughs) for, for that.
1: Lots of people to thank. And now we have 60 employees. And when I think about our artisan businesses, many of them were the same. So the first artisan business that I partnered with was not in fact a business at the time. It was a young couple, Jolia and Daniel, living in Uganda who literally had to go to an internet cafe to even gain access to a computer and to Wi-Fi. And I set up a Western Union account and I wired them the cash that they needed in order to go out and buy raw materials and begin to make product for me to sell. And now they oversee 100 employees and 300 contract workers. And so scaling means, um, first of all, a commitment to relationship. It means tenacity. It means that we are going to assume the best for one another. And we're going to brave through the storms that every single business will go through no matter what. So I think on a high level, that's what it means. On a practical level, um, you know, with a lot of our businesses, it's meant here is Excel. Here's what a spreadsheet looks like. Here is how you measure um, P&L. Here's how we know that you are charging enough to make the right profit margins that are going to benefit your business. It means here is what our inspiration board is for the upcoming. Fashion season. And this is what winter is, where you live in a place where winter doesn't exist. And here's what spring (laughs) is. And here are Americans like change and, you know, fashion goes in and out. And so it's just been, um, It's a lot of just coming alongside and taking these um, local skills and local materials and honestly, the potential, the human potential that every person is born with immense potential and is born with immense power. And we just get to come alongside these people and unlock that potential and unlock that power um, through partnering with them in business.
0: Okay, hashtag preach. um, (laughs) I get get on a soapbox about this. (laughs) No, I so appreciate um, that description of scale because often we talk about it in terms of distribution or we talk about it in terms of the ability to multiply. And I appreciate the very specifics of what it means to come alongside both in the relationship building and also something that you said that was really important, which is to kind of hang with each other in the highs and the lows. And what what does that actually mean? And how does that um, play out in the the business space? And um, I, you know, amen on so many levels. I spent some time in Africa this summer. And one of the things that we did was we took a group of artisans from the states over there to connect with uh, local artisans in Mozambique and Swaziland. And these people had seen Americans come through before. And one of the things they wanted to know and they wanted to be sure of before they continued their work with us was, are you going to be here in the long run? Right. Are you going to build a relationship? Is this a one and done? Are you buying 100 units and we'll see you later? Or um, are we going to see you again? And so I so appreciate and value that in your six years you have um, given a definition to scale that is meaningful and grounding to us. So so thank you for that. And I think we're going to make sure that that whole quote is actually in the show notes, because I don't think we'll ever get a definition of scale that's um, <laughs> articulated quite like that. Thanks, Jessica. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tell us a little about what you did before Noonday because I'd love to know what your experience was. And I know our listeners who might be interested in doing something similar to you but aren't um, beginning from that place would love right. to know what you did before.
1: So what I always wanted to answer to this question was I studied fashion in undergrad. I got my MBA. I then built a business plan for six months, got a huge loan from my parents, rented an awesome office space, and then got private equity to now have the third fastest company owned by women in America. (laughs) That's what I wanted my... my That's that's what I wanted to tell you because I was living outside of my story. But what, in fact, my background is, is I graduated from college with a Latin American studies degree. I went and did midwifery in South America, went on to teach in Guatemala, came back to Austin, ran a mentoring program, went to go sell wedding china and fine jewelry before getting my real estate license, where I then flipped houses and Mm -hmm. then dabbled. An interior design, and then started a full-fledged real estate boutique. So that's the real story.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's been a really clear A to B path for you. Super clear, um, super straight. <laughs> but I, I think that we've probably done two or three podcasts where the word windy road or windy path has come up. Yes. And so I have to believe that whether it's finding yourself or... Um, you know, the, missing the gal who you always wanted to be, wondering where she is. That it, it just seems to be a part of the path for, um, for any creative soul. Um, and, you know, in, in our case, we call that entrepreneurship. One quick clarification... What is midwifery exactly? <laughs> you don't have children yet, do you? <laughs> I do. I do. I have three children, and I actually know exactly what it is. But okay, I'm anticip- okay, I'm anticipating I was like, Come on, now. our listeners. No, I've 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 got three. They're real. <laughs> okay, they're real. That's real. Um, did you
1: have midwives for your births?
0: No, but my parents are not from this country, and so um, for I know. Them, let me explain. Yeah, okay, they, they know. They, they know.
1: know. Okay. Um, I actually had midwives for my. I did. I had a home birth here in America. So, um, but yeah, midwifery is really the age-old practice of women delivering babies. Yeah, I And love it. it's funny because I really, you know really didn't want any, uh, no desire for any sort of medical background or degree. This was when I was 21 and had nothing to offer the world. And I think this is like, I was literally holding um, mannequins of vaginas. (laughs) That's what I was doing. I was not. (laughs) And there we go. We've gone there. There. It's official. Yes. So I was not teaching. I really had very little to give, but that was the need that they had. And that's what I was doing And um, I think it did inspire me, though, later to want to have a home birth, just because that is how most women around the world are giving birth. And I just wanted to feel connected to that experience.
0: I love it. Thank you for defining that for us. Um, Okay, I'm going to ask you a question about all of those jobs, all of those career paths. Is there a through line that you have been able to identify in all of the things that you've done and in the thing that you're currently doing now, is there something that you saw that you were like, I keep coming back to this, even though the title's different and the day to day is different. Is there anything that you noticed that was the same?
1: Yeah, I think my through line began. Um, it began really early when I was fifteen, and I went to Kenya for the first time, and I was exposed to uh, international poverty. But at the simultaneously, I was exposed to microfinance and what the power of a small, tiny loan could do for one woman that I met, who was running a fruit stand in the Kabura slum of Nairobi. And so, I think for me, I um, my through line became very much about, wow, I've been given a lot of opportunity in this life, and how can I use that opportunity to create opportunity for others? And so that was the through line internally in my heart which definitely led to some angst when I was working at a fine jewelry store selling wedding china as well so um, i I think there was angst during that period during you know long seasons of you know running a real estate business and not understanding how that internal um, really fire i had to use my life to create opportunity for others um, didn't know how it was all going to fit. But now I can look back and I can see how God doesn't waste one single thing. And, you know, working at the jewelry store, that was my only experience in retail and my only experience in a, you know, point of sale system and merchandising. And, you know, that one year has served now for what I do now or real estate, starting my own real estate business. That was the first time I learned about SEO and search engine optimization and blogging and how to set up a website and the importance of copywriting and branding Um, um, and then I look back to my time overseas in Latin America doing midwifery and teaching. And that's where I really discovered, you know, the power of business and social entrepreneurship as opposed to charity. And so, of course, in hindsight, it looks very clear. But I will say, I think, I mean, I was even depressed for several years just mm. because I felt like um, I didn't understand what I was doing, where where it was leading. Um, but I think... Think all roads are leading somewhere as long as you keep staying curious and open and asking the right question and are willing to take the risks.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. Because I think that's where a lot of not only our listeners, but uh, clients I've had, women I've come into contact with in whatever capacity, it's how do all these things kind of... Um, come together to culminate into something meaningful and also have I been lost all these years, you know, and it's hard Mm. to, to see how one is building on the other. And they almost always are. And there's a great line, and I, I'm not going to really attempt it because I'm sure I'll ruin it. But Steve Jobs in his Stanford speech talks about how he can look back. Um, it's kind of a 2020, um, you know, hindsight is 2020 quote. But it's about looking back and be being able to connect the dots. Um, but when you're in the process, it all it all feels like um, you're just meandering. Totally. Um, and so I thank you for that because I would love people to to sort of hang on. To that, as they're um, trying to figure out what what's next for them and navigate that path, and if you're in this ideation phase, maybe that you have an idea but not sure how that idea is going to come to right. fruition. Well, it's um, funny.
1: I well, I just posted on my Instagram today um, a picture of my little, my oldest. And I, we went to go get her passport renewed yesterday. She's 11 and she's getting her passport renewed. But I, so I found her passport file and there was a picture in there of her very first passport. And she was six months old. I was in the throes of postpartum depression. I didn't have enough money in the bank to even think about going anywhere. And yet I ran to go get her passport because I thought, please don't let motherhood mean it's the end of an adventure, a life Uh of adventure. And she didn't get any stamps in that passport. But then, And I had to go get another passport for her when she was five. And that has many stamps in it. And now we're getting another passport for her. That's awesome. I love that. And, you know, I just think, like, you don't know where things are going to lead. But there is something about putting a stake in the ground of, like, I'm just in a season. And, you know, life is a river. It's not wet concrete. But I think so many times I've thought, I'm, like, sticking my foot in wet concrete. And this is just what it's going to be like forever. Yeah. But then, the more I've lived, the more I've realized life is a river, and I'm just going to keep dipping my toe in the water. And sometimes the rapids going to be fast and exciting, and sometimes it's going to be like still and quiet. Um, but there's a season to everything, and I think kind of being patient with that and accepting that um, is definitely helping me not live with as much angst as I as I used to.
0: I love that. We will definitely you'll see that on our Instagram. It's gone from your Instagram. It's going to it's going to ours. Um, But I think one of the things that's so great about that is that if if we can see our life in that way, then we can um, be happy with the present and understand that in the present we can be intentional. And it's not a season that we're waiting to pass. It's actually one that we can learn from. Absolutely. let's talk a little bit about that trip as a teenager to Kenya. And when you first um, went, it obviously left a lasting impression on you so much so that later on in life, you decide to go back to Africa, this time, not Kenya, but Uganda. And I think that's the trip where you met Jalia and Daniel, who you talked about in the beginning. Give us a little background on how how does one go enter, you know, I don't know if you were on vacation or what, you'll, you'll let us know. But you go in, in one capacity and all of a sudden you're like, now I have a business. What, what, tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, I was part of a church that was always really involved in social justice. And so, um, even in the eighth grade, I went to Inner City, Washington D.C., and we partnered with a church called Church of the Savior. And the founder of that church has now passed, but he he marched in Selma. He was one of the first people to establish a multi um, a, diver- a diverse church around this message of reconciliation. And so. I think being around that, I always knew that my faith would be intermixed with this outward expression of my faith, um, bringing opportunity and justice to others. And so it was on a church trip that I originally went to Kenya. And part of that trip was um, walking with some of their local partners through the Kabura slums to show different projects they were doing. And so I just remember this woman running a brightly colored fruit stand and they pointed and kind of described her life and how she had been in a really abusive marriage and she had several children and the husband was drinking away all of the... um any income that would come in. And so they were able to loan her a microloan of like, I mean, it was like $20 or something that sounded unfathomably small to me, probably what my allowance was at the time for a month. And she, you know, purchased some fruit and began to sell that fruit and then was able to, with those profits, buy more fruit. And now she is out of her abusive marriage. And I think it just really struck me, especially when you are being exposed to, um, you know, the sights and the smells of poverty unlike I had been exposed to before. Um, And yet I saw the power of this woman and the strength of this woman and the pride of this woman as she, um, you know, was was selling her fruit. And so that really— that really stood out to me. Now, it wasn't like we talked about earlier. It wasn't like, oh, and now I have this business idea and entrepreneurship <laughs> is the path. And that's what I'm going to start doing for the rest of my life. Um, I think for me, I am from the South and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't really have a lot of examples of women that were pursuing entrepreneurship or business. And so I naturally thought, well, if I want to help quote unquote, then I need to become a teacher or a social worker or a nurse. And so I took that route in college. My first couple of years, I studied social work. Um, But I am not like a sit down and help one-on-one kind of person. I'm more like, how are we going to like change and restructure an entire infrastructure of poverty and in a country?
0: You're just kind of a small thinker in general. Is that what you're telling us? (laughs) Right,
1: right. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, it's, you know, I, one of my best friends is a nurse. And I remember one time when she was a nurse. Nursing school and she was during doing her internship and she came home from work one and she was like, I had the most profound day today. And I mm. was like, Oh my gosh, you know, what happened? Like thinking she got to like help with administer medicine or, you know, attend a surgery. And she's like, I got to clean up somebody's vomit today. And it mm. was such an honor. And I was like, okay, whatever you're
0: made of is not what I made of. And I'm so thankful that you're made of that because we need you in this world. Um, But thank you for making that point because when I just said small and then you made that point, I thought that's right. There are profound um, opportunities that we have to impact the world that are not made up of just big thinkers and people who want to, you know, um, do large scale things or things that are seemingly large scale that that we need. Uh, It's a makeup, uh, a tapestry, if you will, of all of us. It's, yeah, I think it's both and,
1: but for me, I think I did value small so much that I, didn't have a path too big, you know, like, so mm-hmm. I thought, well, gosh, that's beautiful. And that's like mother Teresa, who's a saint. So maybe I am supposed to, want to clean up, throw up or, you know, (laughs) um, do midwifery or whatever. And so I think it just took me a while to understand, you know, there were other pathways to living out this calling I had towards social justice that didn't involve social work or teaching in the inner city or
0: becoming a nurse, and so, so specifically on that second trip to Uganda, were you just was Jalia the fruit stand worker, or was that something altogether different? No,
1: the fruit stand was when I was fifteen, and okay. I didn't um, get connected to Jalia and Daniel till I was around thirty three, and I went on numerous trips um, to Africa and many other places. Between fifteen and thirty-three. So um, again, it wasn't this clear path, linear, and cro- like super chronologically uh, tight timeframe.
0: It was more as I've been able to look back, you know, and sure. see how all these things have come together. What was the meeting like? Them? How did that come to pass? And and how is that something that you guys have been able to build on since? Um, so. And that's
1: it's kind of a confusing story in that I actually didn't physically meet Jolly and Daniel when I started doing business with them, which made it even kind of crazier. But my friends living in Uganda, I had gone on to Uganda and I had met up with my friends living there and they had said – we want you to go back to America and create a marketplace for these friends of ours, Jolly and Daniel. But I didn't actually meet Jolly and Daniel. I came back to the States and was like, there's no way I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I have a real estate business. And then, um, the real estate market began to, you know, quickly decline um, during the meltdown of the financial market. And so that's when I picked up the phone and said, okay, remember that idea you had about me starting a marketplace? Well, we are in the process to adopt from Rwanda. I definitely need an additional way to earn an income. And nothing in the real estate world is going to provide that income at this, at this point in history. And so that's when they said, okay, well, we'll connect you with Jolia and Daniel. And so they connected us by email. And literally, I just sent them money blind via Western Union account and just wow. kind of hoped that necklaces would, in fact, show up.
0: And wow. they did. So that was good. That's and, amazing. Had you seen examples of their work? Yes, I have. Okay. 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 I so had, there was some context for who these people were that you were hiring, and then you had the connection over there. Yeah. And so, did you okay? So these necklaces showed up, and you had a party and said, Hey, friends, come over. I've got some necklaces for you to buy, or were you selling them to retailers? What the what, No, how did that it was all. Take
1: place? Um, Again, and as I mentioned, you know we were in a really financially tight space, but had a very big financial commitment looming over us, which was international adoption. And so um, this really didn't start off as, I'm going to create opportunity for artists and businesses through fashion. It started off as, I really need money in order to get this adoption in. And I have beautiful things to sell that can get me towards that goal. And so I opened my home and I was convinced no one would come. And I took it so personally. I thought every RSVP was like, yes, we support your adoption. And every no was like, you shouldn't be doing this. And I just remember I had so much anxiety around even just this simple, you know, act of opening up my home and the vulnerability you feel around middle school. Is anyone going to show up? Um, but what I found, have found is that women want to show up for one another. And I had about 60 women come through my home that night. We did about $4,000 in sales. And I think after that's when I realized, you know what, um, women want to show up for one another. Um, even though we live in this digital age, we also want to physically connect with each other. And there's so much power in being able to share the story behind Jolia and Daniel and even behind our own adoption story physically. And that's when I just thought, you know what, I want to do this across other women's homes, across the state, across the city. And so after that, I just began to ask other women if they would open their homes to me and coming um, with this curated collection of goods. And that's how it all began.
0: I love that story. I have to believe that there were women who heard it who were also in the process of adopting who thought, oh, that that makes sense. I'd like to be able to support financially um, the effort to to bring our baby home. Um, And this is providing an opportunity to do that. Um, There's something in your story that I think is really uh, important. And it's that you had the tenacity, the passion, the desire, the drive, even though it wasn't for, um, you know, how am I going to build this business, but how am I going to bring this income in so that I can adopt this baby so that we have the finances to adopt this baby. But all of those things in the early years for any business are important, no matter if it's so I can adopt a child or so this business can survive. And I think, um, it's something that often businesses are missing, which is that that need to correct the model so that money is actually coming in. And I wonder if you would say that's been the bedrock um, of your success to some degree.
1: Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, I grew up, my dad was an entrepreneur and I grew up just hearing, you know, cash is king. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, cash flow is is super important, and um, you know, I remember hearing about businesses that they're they had big revenue, but then like no profit, and I always thought, yeah. well, that doesn't make any sense, um, you know, and so we kind of have this saying at noonday, you know, profit. Profit is sanity, revenues vanity, and cash is king.
0: Um,
1: so <laughs> another quotable from Jessica, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and so I do think we have um, from the beginning. You know, I was so scrappy. You know, super scrappy, and at the time would just order product weekly. You know, based on what I was selling, never made some huge investment. Um, just did. Counted Every dollar and cent because we really were raising money for this adoption. So I think that caused me to be very financially disciplined. Yeah. And, um, and then even, you know, at Noonday now, you know, I'm super thankful we do have a line of credit from a local bank. But other than that, um, you know, we're we're bootstrapped, and we run our business just like how we administer our children's allowance. And what we teach our kids about money is like spend what only what you have, save some, give some,
0: you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how those those little life lessons apply um, to almost every platform, even when you're looking at larger scale businesses. That's um, true. And I think that sometimes we make mistakes by thinking that, that there is an exception to that rule. And often there isn't. It's, right. it's just Really elementary af- after all um, okay, really quickly because I think it's important that um, our listeners know the impact that you've had you've talked a lot about I mean you just said your your business your small business you talked about the kind of the grassroots bootstrapping side of things but I think uh, we need we need to understand that you to date have employed four, thousand artisans and impacted twenty thousand families and that's by no stretch. Um, Small. There's nothing small about that. So when we talk about small business, we have to be careful that that doesn't um, assume small impact. Did you imagine, was there ever a moment, uh, maybe past the adoption, after you made the money for the adoption, but when you really saw, I think this could go somewhere, did you imagine that you would be sitting here today, that Noonday would have launched all of that?
1: You know, I think that pretty quickly as I was out, in meeting in other women's homes, um, I did realize there was a hole in the market. I had been one of those people that um, other companies, other direct sales companies, so home, home-based companies yeah. had tried to, to recruit me and get me to be a part of what they were doing. And I just, I was never interested. But now here I had this product that was really beautiful, that was handmade. And at the time, there there weren't really many other social um, social businesses other than Tom's. There weren't many artists and businesses. So I also saw a hole in the market in the whole fair trade sector um, that where I could really make an impact and create fashion-relevant pieces. And then there was a hole in the market in the home sector where there wasn't really an offering for someone like me who wanted to make this direct impact. And so um, I think I did know like you have those kind of instinctual moments pretty rarely throughout your life. I had it when I met my husband. I was like, I think he's the one. Um, But really, I haven't had too many of those. And so I think I knew intuitively like this, this has got some legs Um, did I know everything that it would entail? No. And I'm so glad I didn't because it's, because you may have
0: never done it. (laughs) I may may have never
1: done it Yeah, because it is literally, I mean, we thought we would always have a fourth kid and it was like, no, instead we got a business because the business is just as much work as a child. Um, so, you know, I would say instinctively, did I, um, just see how, artisans can produce beautiful work that more women in America needed to purchase. And did I see that um, women love to gather and we love to show up for one another. I think I saw all of those things. And now that they've all come together to truly have legs um, certainly is not lost on me. It's it's definitely humbling every single day for me to get to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I think Um, There must be moments or I can imagine that there must be moments that you just can't believe the impact. um, And also moments where you're like, we have so much more to do um, that. It's not something that you can rest in, but you feel excited or motivated that, gosh, if we've done this, think of what more we can do Mm -hmm. and how many more people we can impact. And when I talk about impact, I mean, here in the States as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you've shared the, the the women who now have the ability to have a social impact, have a home-based business, have a flexible work schedule, mm-hmm. um, what you've created in a, in a really meaningful way, something that's more about their financial bottom line, but about the bottom line of what's important to them. And their contribution to the world, I think, is is of great value. So again, thank you for, for doing all of that work. Um, one thing I want to call out, I think part of your success has been in asking the question of what's missing from the market. And there's a, again, I'm so bad, I need to have quotes in front of me, but I think it's a Barbara Corcoran quote where she says, Um, Look around in any given day. Just go through your day and look around and see what's missing and build a business around that. And you're sure to be a success. And it sounds like that's what you did. You looked at what, you know, you you saw what was working in that first initial um, jewelry package that you received from Jalia and Daniel. You opened your home, you sold things, $4,000 were sold of product. And you said, oh, I've got something. But beyond that, you looked at, well, was this just a hiccup? Was this just a good day? Were people just really good friends or wanted to support the adoption? Or is there really something here? And by asking those questions, I think you ensured that, oh, I have a model. I have a business model in place in in order to get this jewelry in the hands of other people and to move this thing forward. So whether you meant to say all of those things or not, it was a brilliant answer. So thank, thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, let me ask you just one other question before we transition into sort of the expert end of the conversation. Did you always, and you've said a few things that maybe have hinted to this, but did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Was that something that, again, when you looked at all of the disparate things that you had done and found the through line in those things, did you kind of had this thing where I really want to work for myself or did you feel like it was the social impact of maybe that first home sale that led you to say, I'm really on to something and I'm I'm gonna go for it, even though I, I've never considered myself an entrepreneur? Which which one was it?
1: I mean, I think I didn't have the language necessarily for entrepreneurship. Um, I mean, if you look back, like when I was little, I would pick flowers from my neighbor's yard and tie a bow on it at home and go sell it back to them. And I mean, I was always, you know, coming up with little business ideas as a child. And I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. My dad is an entrepreneur, my granddad. So I think in that respect, um, I, I never really knew anyone in my life that worked um, in corporate America. Um, I just think that the path that I thought I was supposed to take as a woman living in the South was to get married and have babies. And even though that never, I can say that's never been a huge desire of mine, I just didn't have, uh, I don't know, a pathway, um, to, you know, maybe using some of my natural gifts and talents, um, that wasn't in this sort of like helping profession kind of, kind of way. So I think that as I began, um, to, especially in real estate, I mean, that's really when I began to exercise my entrepreneurial chops because flipping houses is pretty risky business. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's when I, the thrill of the risk and of, you know, buying a house and then figuring out, you know, everything you could do to to make it appealing to a potential customer. Um, you know, certainly that's when I realized you know, this, I love, I love that. And I didn't enjoy really working for other people.
0: <laughs> so it was in you, whether you had the language, um, it was in you, that spirit was in you. Yeah, and it was. I think one of the reasons i am going to plug Liberty right now, but one of the reasons that, um, we launched Liberty and that, um, I've been stewing on this for so many years is because I think I realized that women need to see it, to believe it and in the case of the podcast, they need to hear it to believe it. So when when they hear, when they see other women doing things, it gives them um, the opportunity to sort of inform their own path. Um, while no two paths are alike, it gives them a little context. It gives them an idea. It gives them um, a little inspiration or motivation. So I think, again, it comes from, I've heard her story and that story either inspires my story or it um, tells me that through all of her struggles, I can do it too. And so it, it provides encouragement. Um, so thank you for sharing all that. Okay, yeah. so now we're going to take advantage of having Jessica on the phone with us um, and we're going to ask you about your experience. And just um, our listeners are hungry for, You know, the first half, they were inspired by your story, and now we want to equip them. We want to give them some really good morsels. Um, So I would say that many people are going to listen to this podcast and just be floored and inspired by all that you've done and the impact that you're having both at home and abroad. Can you give us um, a little background on what it's like to merge purpose and process and keep it real? Let's, you know, we want to give them the kind of honest, like, here's where it was really hard. Here's where it's really rewarding. um, And maybe here are some things to watch out for.
1: Yeah. So I would say, first of all, for those of y'all that are listening, I I do think it's so easy to look at success and um, immediately want that yesterday and i just want to encourage you know the listeners that don't despise the small things and we all began small i was talking to a friend the other day who is starting a food blog and was opening up her, you know, food Instagram account. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you should follow one of my friends who also has a food blog and an Instagram account. And I, I was like, here it is. And my friend has like a hundred thousand followers where she's been doing this for years. And my friend just laughed and was like, Oh, please. Like, you know, you just recommended someone who's, you know, hundred thousand followers. And I'm like, yeah, but she started with one, you know, like we all start with one. And And so I think that it's just important, like, if you have a product and you're just like hitting the farmer's market, trying to sell it every Saturday, like... That's amazing because you get to test out and see what are people responding to, and start listening to your customer. Or if you're starting a consulting business and you know you're trying to do that through Instagram, like we all start off with a few followers, and then it grows. And so, um, I just want to encourage people to not despise the the small things and. Also, as you begin to begin with the end in mind, and I think that that's where process really comes in. And I've definitely, you know, never wanted to try to do for one person what I couldn't do for 3,000 people. And so um, I think it's important to understand your goals, though, because, you know, for some people, small is beautiful. For some yeah. people... Um, we're meant to do something, you know, that's that's really scalable. And so I think knowing sort of where you want to end up and where you want to be, um, it's interesting that goes with our artists and partners, too. I I just got back from Haiti two nights ago and we're working with a business there that, you know, they've got about um, 30 people that work directly for them. And then they would just want to start kind of launching off entrepreneurs out into their own, out into the villages where they grew up. And they're like, we have 10 customers and that's it. Like it's sustaining us and we're able to focus and that's all we need are our 10 customers, you know, but then we have another artisan partner who's like looking to grow and is like, we want to go to a trade show in Canada and in New York, how can you help us with that? So again, I think it's understanding like how how far do you want to scale and then building those processes that fit for the size of your company. And, you know, I think the hardest thing of being a CEO is that um even though I love doing so many different things, I'm always trying to figure out how to not do them so that I can empower someone else to do them. And sometimes that comes with sacrifice. Like I love Mm -hmm. scouting for photo shoots, but I have an amazing creative director now and that's not the biggest value of my time anymore. And so I think it is kind of knowing what are the things that you don't wanna let go of that you're really good at and immediately thinking about what are those things though that I can outsource and um, you know I can spend my time where it's most valuable.
0: Thanks. I think there's some, um, a lot of wisdom in what you just said. And, um, I think to begin with the end in mind, um, is probably that first step. So did you begin thinking that you wanted to be a for or non, uh, profit company? Like, tell us a little bit about that beginning for you, mm-hmm. because I, I think there are listeners who are going to say, I have this great idea for this social impact um organization and i'm right now heading out to go get my 5013c and they don't they assume that they should be a not-for-profit company because that feels nicer or kinder or more gentle and you chose the for-profit route so i'd love to hear about did you begin with that end in mind um or did that morph as as you went forward you know i always
1: Um, I think because I did do some um, NGO work post-college and I remember walking through the mountains, uh, the Andes Mountains in Bolivia, among the Quechua, and there were these latrines that were set up and they were filled with rocks because the locals, that wasn't in need of theirs, but an NGO had come in and had evaluated this is a need and we're going to build them. And they were never used. And so I think I just um, began to see like... Where um, charity could often get it wrong, um, um, again, just in Haiti, we heard there's 10,000 NGOs in Haiti, and even the um, some of the NGO people that I talked with said, you know, more money, more problems, you know, can that can often, um, you know, where we come in and evaluate the need and ends up um, we're causing more harm than good. So I think with that in mind, I understood that business could be more sustainable. It felt more equitable to me to think about how I could have partners, business partners, and not recipients not beneficiaries, but partners.
0: Great Um, distinction.
1: At the same time, you know, I don't want to discourage people that, you know, do want to meet a really specific social need. Um, You know, here at Noonday, we have a a flourishing world initiative that is a fund um, that we put money into where um, our artists and partners can apply for grants, for scholarships. Um, You know, in in these countries where we work, there aren't basic social safety nets that there are here in America. So I don't want to say that business can solve everything, but certainly I think going in with a mindset that... um, of sustainability and for profit, um, I think can um, h- be helpful in the long run. And how, in the lens that you're wearing, as you're trying to kind of look at a social need and um, try to address that with with an impact.
0: Sure, and I think again, your advice of beginning with the end in mind can get you to d- define and understand if an end. I'm sorry, if a nonprofit mm-hmm. is the path for you versus a for profit. And one of the things that you've done with your foundation or this fund is that you've been able to do both. And I am a for-profit entity and we have a nonprofit fund. We have a place where we can do things that are best to be done under a nonprofit umbrella. Um, But we are able to scale and expand and grow and move forward and treat these um, other partners, if you will, um, in a way that that feeds the business side and grows their business and creates sustainable um, growth for them. And so, I I think there's a, there's something valuable for p- businesses to really look at and say: just because there is a nonprofit piece of this pie, doesn't mean my entire vision for this is a nonprofit. Um, Vision, Or, you know, conversely, if it's for profit, there can be a nonprofit uh, portion. And I would say that a lot of these social social ventures have done exactly what you've done, that they have, you know, they're operating as a business. But then they've identified a way to create a fund or a foundation that allows them to do some of these other things that are best done for tax purposes or otherwise um, under a, a nonprofit umbrella. Um, okay, so just as you were talking about your travels and it's it's so dreamy and I think that a lot of us are like, oh, I want to be Jessica, I want to live this life, I want pa- stamps in my passport and the passport of my children. But I'm, I've got to believe, and having done some work in developing countries, I happen to know that there are some drawbacks. What would you say we need to sort of be wary of or aware of um, if we are going to take this uh, you know, route of social impact, specifically as it pertains to working in a developing country.
1: So there's a proverb in Haiti, a Haitian proverb, it says, little by little, a bird builds its nest. And I think especially when you're engaging in these countries and cultures that naturally have obstacles that we don't have in America, where the electricity goes out. Or where a common mosquito bite will actually send you to the hospital with malaria or where there's a government coup or a meltdown or a political protest and literally um, the the shipment can't make it to the airport to then get exported. And so I think that, you know, going in with the mentality and understanding these obstacles um, and understand that um, little by little, the bird builds its nest. And so sometimes progress is a lot more slow than you want it to be, um, but to have that long-term vision and the tenacity it takes um, so that um, we're able to somehow make some of these obstacles less of obstacles. And, and then you're opening up doors for other people to come behind you to want to do business or create a social impact in these areas.
0: I, I love that because I think you're absolutely right. Just, just being prepared, just knowing, anticipating that those are going to be obstacles um, is probably half the battle. Um, Would you say that it's important to go into these countries and establish your own relationships or that it's important to establish relationships with people that have established relationships? I don't mean to make that confusing. I I think that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, it really, I, it depends on absolutely what you're doing. Um, So, I mean, we always Establish relationships in the local context and really pour into local leadership. And we know that if we're partnering with a strong local leader, that then we're going to have long-term success at the end of the day. So I think that um, it's hard because there aren't a lot of mid-management opportunities in many of these countries. And so the the idea of getting to learn and understand what a good leader is, is challenging. Um, But that is, you know where we really see the difference with Noonday is being able to partner with local leaders who are then um, creating businesses that are creating that social impact.
0: Okay, I think that's helpful because a a lot of times people go in and reinvent the wheel and begin Mm -hmm. with, let me find somebody, let me find a person that I can begin this relationship with and don't realize that to some degree there are a lot of boots on the ground already and how do you um, make headway with those people and um, and sort of help to be more efficient or make the process more efficient and even expedite in the end your own success because they have they understand the cultures and the customs and they're on the ground and they know what's going on and they can sort of move you along much more quickly and i've i've at least personally found that to be the case that by by working with alongside those people who've done a lot of that work that you can advance um, your purpose, your vision much more quickly. Yes, absolutely. Um, Let me ask you a a quick question about just practically speaking on a day-to-day, have you found any resources, um, third-party platforms, software, anything that's really helped you to kind of especially as a mother, sort of keep organized and t- stay on top of your business and life as a CEO? Are there some things out there that you're like, okay, folks, go out and get this right now? Oh, man. I mean, I am such like
1: my iPhone is definitely an extension of my right hand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to a fault. It's insane. I'm not like a super live my life uh, on an app kind of person. Um, I would say my communication apps, Are big for me WhatsApp and Voxer, and then all of my little travel apps. Um, just I love having all of my airline apps downloaded and ready, and just digital boarding passes are so great. And then, of course, I don't travel without my app sound machine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've got it all, you've got it all. It's amazing. I mean, don't you wonder how often, like. Who? What did they do before they had uh, any any smartphone, iPhone, or otherwise? Like, how is this possible? I guess life just moved at a slower pace. It's crazy. Yeah, it is a little crazy. Okay, so somebody's out there listening. They've heard everything you have to say, and um, they're wondering if kind of they're the gal for the job. Do you know of, have you experienced, have you seen a a type of person that's maybe not cut out for entrepreneurship and can we kind of save them some pain? And conversely, have you seen something that you feel like in every entrepreneur, entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur that you've met along the way, there seems to be this one common trait or characteristic? Mm.
1: You know, I think this is a good question because I do think that especially, um, With the millennial generation, it's so much about like what's your side hustle and there's like this whole gig economy and I think that, um, man, there is just something really beautiful if you are called to come alongside of an entrepreneur. Um, I know that, you know, I wouldn't be where I am today um, if I hadn't had just a couple people that, that work for me that are like, man, I'm not supposed to be the starter. Um, but I definitely want to like come alongside and basically be the, the right or left uh, arm for the starter. And I think that that's really important to know. Um, because not every single person is a starter. Like, that's just that wouldn't be interesting. Um, yeah. So I do think that, you know, don't go into entrepreneurship thinking, oh, my gosh, it's because, you know, that's like this the sexy thing to do right now is to have a side hustle. Like, that's not a good reason to start something. You know, you want to start something because it matters to you. It, um, you know, fits uh, some sort of purpose that you've had. It's a yearning in your heart. Um, But I definitely say start it. Like if that's part of who you are um, and you have an idea and you want to make it happen, then definitely go make it happen. But if you're someone who's putting this like pressure on yourself Um, thinking that you're supposed to be this starter because five of your friends have these like side hustles, but that's not you, then don't go trying to be that because then you're just living outside of your story and step into your story because uh, behind every successful entrepreneur is like a tribe of people who have their back. And um, I'm just really grateful for the people who have come alongside me and clearly recognize like, I'm not an entrepreneur, but I'm called to help an entrepreneur scale, you know, and and I think that 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 matters. And then for entrepreneurship, you know, I think it is, um, it takes a lot of drive. And I think it takes um, a ton of tenacity and just a lot of belief in yourself and in your idea. And um, that needs to really be able to take you through the hard times. So I think you just have to really believe and what you're doing and then what you're starting and
0: you know, you kind of don't take no for an answer. That's it. Okay. So we're done with Liberty, Liberty. You have nothing left to say. Jessica said all of it for us. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think you're so right. And I love the piece about step into your story. I often say that, um, I had no choice, but to do the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, anytime I tried to leave it, it seemed to call me back and it was in fact a calling. Um, so, and the, the tenacity and the drive and all those other things that we assume that come with um, entrepreneurship, I think often come when we feel compelled to do something, when we feel called to do something, when we feel like that work is our work to do. Um, there's a certain responsibility um, that fuels uh, the day to day. Totally. Jessica, thank you so much. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for all the um, inspiring and informing on the business side, but also thanks for just preaching it. I so appreciate your honesty and your ability to um, share your whole story, um, all parts, again, business and personal. And it's nice to chat. You were a very good first um, remote podcast. Well, I had a blast. So I'll see you guys when you're in Texas. You got it. Absolutely. Austin, here we come. Take care, Jessica. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham, and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot as evidenced here. See you next week.